Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org home. Miracle is happening, but it was happening. Do you guys see where this is going? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala produces for these individuals a state of being that they are not aware is happening, but if Allah said people came upon their cave and saw them, this would have been an added layer of protection for them. The tafsir behind this verse is really powerful. The, the different mufassirin, they say, look at how Allah takes care of you even in the most like very specific and nuanced ways. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have done many different things, but in this manner, he, did, he gave these individuals, because why? Because they committed to Him. Because they stayed committed to Him. Because despite the social pressure of whatever it was that their community was celebrating, and all of the different things that they were being pushed to do, to leave their faith, to abandon their morals and their virtues, they still made the right choice. And when push came to shove, when things were getting really bad, they actually left. I mean, this is like the analogy of somebody that's working in, 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 the, in corporate America, and like they can kind of manage for so long that eventually it just gets too toxic for their faith, and they actually end up putting in their two weeks, and then just leaving the next day, right? No. You just put in your two weeks. And why? I mean, you know, no one wants to leave a job. No one wants to leave stability. No one wants to leave their, you know, paychecks. No one wants to leave that. But sometimes when you have to make that decision between your faith and between your prosperity, right? You have to think about what's more important. And they made that decision. As a result of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them like miracle upon miracle upon miracle of protection for them. And this is one of them. And he mentions this. He says that if you saw them, you would have just thought that they were awake, even though they were asleep. The next miracle is that 
He turned them over side by side. Why did he do this? Huh? So they don't rot. Very good. Ibn Abbas said, actually, in Hadith, he was describing why. He said, so that the earth didn't consume their body. I mean, we're not talking about, I know some of you guys think that your bed will consume you if you nap so long, right? This is like hundreds of years, right? So at some point, there is a, an element of just stagnation, right? So Allah Ta'ala caused their body to flip at regular intervals. Just like when you're cooking something, right? Like you flip it regularly. Why? To make sure that everything is protected. So they were protected from the earth consuming them. That's the next miracle. Again, completely unaware. So a person has to ask themselves. And then, sorry, the third one was that there was a dog. Okay? And I know that many of you are like, Astaghfirullah. Why would there be a dog? Well, this dog is very interesting. First of all, Muslims don't believe that dogs themselves are haram. Right? I want to just clarify this. A lot of people are like, dogs are haram. Right? Even pigs are not haram. Eating a pig is haram. Okay? Using its skin for, for, for you know, this is getting grotesque. But, you know, using products of pig is haram. Different elements of animals' interactions can be impermissible. Okay? Like, Praying with a dog, saliva on your clothes is impermissible, etc. But the actual like animal itself is not haram. Okay, just want to clarify this. The second thing is that dogs actually have very incredible personality. There's a scholar that actually wrote a book called I believe I forget the name in Arabic. It was something like Fadalul Kilab Ala Kathir Min Ibad or something. He basically said like the virtues of dogs over people worshippers. And he described how dogs are better to their masters than we are to Allah. He said, like, every time you, go home, you come home to your dog, the dog is excited whether or not you are gone for two minutes or two days or two weeks. If you leave and then come back, the dog's at the door wagging its tail. And then he said, how about when the servant hears the adhan? Why isn't he excited? It's time to meet Allah and the servant's like, oh, God. Gotta go pray again. Gotta go meet my master again. So he's like, look at how the dog's better than you. Right? And he writes this, the dog's obedient. You tell the dog to go that way, it'll listen to you. The dog doesn't sit there and say, wait, explain to me logically why I have to do this. <laughs> right? You just tell the dog, go, and the dog trusts you. Right? He says, where's our trust in Allah? So he wrote this book. So the point I'm trying to make, I'm not trying to, everyone's going to go to the shelter now after this class. And <laughs> the dog. That's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm advocating. What I'm saying is that, the, 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 the animal itself is not evil, right? In fact, there's a lot of virtue to these animals, subhanAllah. These are all creations of Allah. So this dog in particular is a very interesting. When you look at the tafsir, you find some things that were very profound about this dog. The story behind this dog is that, if you remember, these guys didn't leave with a dog. They left the city by themselves. They went to go find refuge and sanctuary by themselves. So they go and they leave, and on the way, there's a dog that shows up just in the desert. I don't know if you guys have ever been to countries where you'll just find stray animals. So you're walking and there's a dog that just, you know, shows up. Now this dog, you don't adopt it, but it adopts you, okay? So this is what happened. They're walking and this dog comes and the dog, the, the tafsir says that the dog basically just took these guys in. He's like, I'm your, I'm your new pet now, so I don't like him. And the guys were like, no, 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 like we don't want you. Like we don't want you. Okay, why? Because obviously, what are they in the middle of? What are these young men doing? They're running away. Like, you don't want to have any baggage. You don't want to have any sort of, anything that's going to, uh, uh, you know, get you in trouble. You don't want to have anything that's going to get you caught. 
So they're like, go away, shoo, shoo, right? They're trying to get the dog away, and the dog doesn't listen. The dog stays with them, okay? And then eventually they just kind of acquiesce, and they're like, all right, this dog's not listening, let's just go. So the dog comes with them. And then, subhanAllah, in the tafsir, I believe it did not pass. One of the great uh, from the, the Sahaba, they, they described this and they said that the dog actually, Allah caused it to speak to these people. When they were like sort of like reluctantly taking it in, the dog said that, I am, I am a worshiper of God and I am the one who loves those who are close to God. That's why I'm not leaving you alone. Because you're close to God. Like you made a decision for the sake of Allah and I'm staying with you now. And then they ended up taking this dog. Obviously you can't say no to a talking dog. <laughs> so they take this dog and they go with. And then Allah describes this dog in the Quran. And the scholars say that this dog was also a function of what? Of their protection. So there's so many layers here. The first layer is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes their eyes to stay open. And he causes them to be presented in a state that makes them seem to be awake. It protects them and they are unaware. The next is that Allah Ta'ala causes their bodies to turn left and right to protect their bodies as well. So the scholars say, look at your own life and realize that the surah began with what? Alhamdulillah, all praises for Allah. Every single thing that I can think of is for Allah. But guess what? Not just that. Even the things that I can't think of, they're for Allah. Even the things that I don't recognize. Because you have to admit, there are things that you just simply don't recognize that Allah is taking care of you with. You come to realize them at some point later. Right? You come to realize them at some point, some other time. SubhanAllah. And only when Allah temporarily, temporarily just suspends that blessing for a millisecond, do you become aware of its vital existence in your life? You know, it could be some sort of health issue that you never heard of before, and now you are the patient. And you're like, what? I've never had this problem. I've never had this issue. I've never had breathing or this or skin or whatever. And now guess what? You are the one. You're Googling every night. Allah takes away one thing from you, and now you're just spending your entire existence is defined by what? by remedying that one thing. So what was it before? It was Allah Ta'ala protecting you in the moments you were unaware. So the scholars say, just like these individuals, when they committed to Allah, Allah protected them. When we commit to Allah, we have layers of protection that we can't even recognize. Layers of protection. I mean, there could be in your life many different things that are attacking different elements of your life and you don't even know, but there might be somebody that's protecting you and you have no clue, but Allah has put that person there. They're your talking dog, right? Maybe there's somebody at work that's just attacking you left and right. But there's like that one supervisor that just won't let it go. They, they, they protect you for that, for whatever reason. They have an attachment to you, right? Someone clapping? Oh, okay. Maybe, yeah. Okay. There's a kid. Okay, I'm I thought you were the supervisor. <laughs> Maybe there's, there's something, subhanAllah, right, that you have. And again, it's not, the job is not necessarily to become a, a detective and go and try to discover all these things. Because the reality is, The Quran says it very clearly. If you try to count even one blessing of Allah, you won't be able to do it. 
So it's not about trying to go and create an inventory, right? Write down a list. Oh yeah, wow, look at all these things. What it's about is this. Number one, trusting that it's there and realizing that you are not the source of all the good in your life. Very often we think that, you know what? I'm successful because of myself. But a person who understands this image of these men being taken care of for 300 years, this person very quickly now starts to say, you know what? Oh my God, what is Allah doing for me every day? Like, how is Allah taking care of me every single day? Number one. Number two is that when you do come across it, when Allah does give you the blessing of being able to perceive these moments, you have to instantly turn into gratitude with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is gratitude with Allah? Gratitude, as was defined by Sufyana Thawri and some others, they said this is the best definition of gratitude subhanahu that I heard. I read it today, I thought it was profound. They said gratitude is when you become so humble in front of Allah. What does that mean? You guys know what I'm talking about? What does it mean to become humble before Allah? You're so grateful that you just become humble. What does that mean? Huh? You become broke. What does that mean? You ask for anything. But what if, what if at that moment of realization, you become so humble? What does that mean? Have you guys ever had this moment? Yeah. Okay, number one is you don't show off. Okay, but even before that, what does it mean to feel that humility? What's the, what's, you know, it's so powerful, subhanAllah, this statement. When you feel this way, yes. You suddenly feel like your smallness, how just, how small you are, how little control you have over anything in your life. Mm. Everything is from God. You realize that you don't hold any power at all. Very good. Getting very, there's one word I want us all to remember. You're getting so close. She said, are you from New Jersey? No. Oh, okay. He said small. So, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, she said, you feel small and you realize that you have no power before Allah. Ibn Abdullah said, if any of you have trouble making dua, he said, this is actually the key. The key is, you have to realize you have no power. You have to realize you have no power. The word I want us all to remember is, you realize how undeserving you are. Like how absolute, now, not in a self-deprecating way. Not like you're like, oh, why me? And you just start throwing all of your belongings in the street. I'm undeserving, right? No, no, because Allah says that if you've been given a blessing from Allah, then proclaim, it's okay, right? Allah Ta'ala says, and in that way you should celebrate. So good things are not bad, right? Good things are good. So long as a person never feels like, yeah, you know what? I deserve this. I deserve this. Because what's the next step? The next step is, as soon as that blessing is suspended or changed or not exactly how you want it, then you say, what's wrong? Why is Allah doing this? And then it turns from, I deserve this, to questioning. Why isn't he giving me this? I, who, I, I mean, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm, you know, I do this, I do that. Then it starts to turn into this shaytanic kind of personality. Because what did shaytan feel? Shaytan, in that moment, when Allah commanded him to bow, Shaytan was confused spiritually. Not intellectually, right? He was confused spiritually. Why? Because he felt as if he had earned his status with Allah. He was a great worshiper. He was with the angels. He wasn't an angel. He was with the angels despite not being one of them. Imagine, right? 
He's like a human, he's a jinn. He's basically from the realm of human beings, jinn wal ins. He was so devoted in his worship of Allah that he elevated to the ranks of the angels. But then when Allah commands him to do something that went against what he wanted to do, it went from being, yes, Allah to, hold on, wait a second. So you're on a very thin line. So that undeserved kind of feeling that, oh Allah, you give me so much and I don't deserve any of it. Like, I sin and you still give me. Right? There's a story, subhanAllah, that... Um, that I was, I was, I was listening to one of the one of our contemporary scholars, you know, in America, Dr. Ahmad. He was describing, said that when he was a student uh, at his university, said they used to go and like have meals together in the park and and whatnot. And he said that there was this woman who was with them, who was a proclaimed atheist. Okay, she was a mother and she had a child that she would engage in their conversations, but she was like, I don't believe in God. And then she said that he said that in the story that you know one day they're all sitting there, they're talking and. Uh, her son, who's like a toddler, starts to wander off. And he starts to wander towards the edge of the park, and eventually he gets to the main road. And this is Chicago, so this is like a big street. And then he starts walking in the road, and there's a car that's coming, and it's going super fast, like speeding throughout the corner. And in that moment, this is Dr. Almer saying the story, he said, in that moment, everyone in the group realized there was nothing we could do. Because the kid is, you know, 200 yards away, and we're sitting here, like, no one's fast enough, our voices don't matter, everything is just helpless, right? Who said that? You just need to realize that you're helpless. And what did the woman who thought she was atheist scream? Oh my God. Which is what? Ya Rabbi. And you translate, oh my God, to Arabic, it's Ya Rabbi. Oh my God. And Dr. Omar said, Wallahi, the minute those words left her tongue, the car came screeching to a stop. And the kid was like, not knowing anything. So there's so many layers, right? Number one is that everyone thinks that they don't need Allah until they need Allah. Everyone thinks that they're fine until they're not. Number two is that kid has no idea the reward or the fruit of what he benefited from, right? The prayer of the group at that moment was for Allah to save that child. The child leaves, none, you know, knowing nothing. These are the moments that people realize that you know what? If I don't keep myself in check, I can really ruin this good thing that I have with Allah. So, number one, Allah took care of them. Number two, Allah Taala took care of them in a more nuanced way, turning them over. Number three, and they don't know. And number three, this dog comes with them. How many times do we repel something from us and push it away and it ends up being exactly what we need? It ends up being good for us. We push it away thinking like, no, 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 I don't want this. I don't want this. But it ends up being exactly what they, you don't want to go somewhere. Hey, you want to go to this event? No, no, I don't want to go. Are you sure? Just come. There's food. No, no, no. It's going to be Costco pizza again. <laughs> all right. We're figuring things out. All right. Give it a little time. Inshallah. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then you go there and you meet someone. And that person is able to get you an interview. It's like LinkedIn, but real life. <laughs> and then subhanAllah, that becomes maybe a pathway to a career that you never thought. Or you meet someone and that person becomes somebody that you're proposing to for marriage. Or you meet someone and that person becomes a friend in a new city that you didn't have friends in before. And it all started with what? I don't want to go. That's not for me. 
right? I'm not talking about roots, by the way. I'm talking about other places. I don't want to go. It's not, it's not for me. So many things, so many things Allah Ta'ala puts in our path, in our destiny, and we foolishly, foolishly act as if we know what's up. Like very confidently, right? It's so interesting. It's like when I make a sandwich for Musa, and I know he's going to like it, but there's a new ingredient, so he's skeptical. I'm like, Musa, do you want to try the sandwich? He's like, what is it? So I asked him, I've been doing this recently with him, I'm like, do you think Baba would ever give you something bad? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, so just eat it. He's like, but what is it? And we laugh, but again, we have this in us. We have that childish logic in us sometimes when it comes to Allah. Right? And then I give it to him, and he's like, this is great. I love this. And he gives me like the thumbs up. As if I, you know, as if that's gonna, you're gonna eat this, regardless whether thumbs up, thumbs down, this is going in your body, okay? I'm gonna blend it, we're gonna do whatever we gotta do, through a straw, you know, whatever I gotta do. Point being is that that sort of distrust, subhanAllah, it's if if I didn't if I didn't know he was a five-year-old, it would hurt. It would hurt. Like it would be painful. Like you think that I don't care about you? You think that I don't think about what's best for you? Of course I do. Right? Why would I that's why I asked Musa that question. I'm like, you think Baba's, you know, Iman actually got sick the other day and I was giving her medicine, she's screaming no, and I, I stopped and I said, do you think Baba's ever going to do something that's going to hurt you? Or do you think Baba's going to take care of you? And she and that actually like got through to her, subhanAllah. Right? We have to think about like that with Allah. Something is going and it's not congruent exactly with how we want to go. We have to pause and say, do I really think that Allah would ever do this to me to cause me pain? Allah Ta'ala said this to the Prophet Allah Ta'ala has not abandoned you, nor is he displeased with you. All of the and what was the Prophet going through at that time? He was going through the initial stages of the, the, the most difficult phase of his life when he was going to be boycotted by his own community. And Allah is reminding him that on the cusp of this difficulty, you need to know that this has nothing to do with me being upset. This is what you need. You're going through this to prepare you. Musa salam, not my son. Musa, peace be upon him, right? The prophet, the one my son's named after. Musa goes through the most difficult in his life. You guys understand? He was born as a baby with a death sentence. I'm sorry for the people with kids here. Like death? Yeah, okay. He was born, Fir'aun had an edict, had a proclamation that young boys will be you know, I don't want to, there's kids here, I'm, I'm aware of, right? Young boys will be taken care of, okay? Put to sleep. <laughs> put down, yeah. Young boys will be put down every other year. Every other year. His brother Harun was born in which year? The year where you're good. When was Musa Aislam born? In the year when you were going to be put down. It started before he was even, his test started before he was even born. And then he's born, and what's the first thing he has to do? Ride in a basket down a river? Are you serious? Half of us in this room can't swim. <laughs> and you're putting an infant child in a basket down a river? Okay, you trust Allah. Where does he end up? At the house of the Fir'aun who wants to put him down. That's where Allah took him. 
right? And then it was just the heart of the wife who was like, he's really cute. <laughs> Can we keep him? We should take care of him. And then they have to find someone to nurse him. So they go into the village and they look, which, which of the women are nursing? Oh, this one is. She looks like she just gave birth, right? Plot twist. She did. To that baby. And the mother and child are reunited. Did that really have to happen like that? Like, do you think about that sometimes? Like, oh, Allah, why? Why the loop, you know? Taking three right turns to demonstrate to you who's in control. To demonstrate who's in control. Right? It could have happened any which way. To demonstrate who's in control. Okay? So this dog, the blessing that they were so insistent, was so annoying, get away from us, says, I'm with you because you are the beloved of Allah. And that's my, that's my, the dog says, my life mission is to be with those who Allah loves. So I'm with you. You know, I'm yours now. Okay? And so Allah then says in the next ayah that we awaken them. We awaken them so that they might question one another. And one of them said, how long have we been asleep? Right? So the one person says, oh, maybe a day or like maybe just about a day or more. Like maybe one day or maybe like a portion of a day. Now, the other one looks at him and he says, Sorry, he says, Yeah, so he says, He says that Allah knows, I think Allah knows better how long you've been asleep. Okay? Why did he say this? The Tafsir explains and says that these people, there were other signs of aging on them. Some mention like they had longer hair, they had facial hair, etc. Okay, so there were signs that it wasn't a day. The reason why the guy thought it was a day was because they went to sleep during one time, they woke up and it was, you know, because you ever fallen asleep during jet lag? And you went to sleep and you woke up and it was like the next day and you're like, I just missed a whole day, right? So this is kind of what happened to the first guy. The second guy looks at him and he goes, you grew a full beard in one day? Your hair got this long in a part of a day? Like kind of what are you talking about? It's so obvious that your opinion's incorrect. But he doesn't say that to him. He doesn't say like, use your brain, man. What just happened was not normal. What does he say to him? He says, رَبُّكُمْ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا لَبِثْتُمْ says, Allah knows better how long your stay has been. This, a lot of us might read that and just kind of go over and say, okay, interesting. All right? Interesting. But the Mufassidin, they circle this and they say, you know what this is an example of? Have you guys ever been having a conversation with somebody and a person suggests a suggestion in the conversation that is so wrong, you can't believe it? <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Did you, are you serious? That's what happened here. Now, what do people like to do in that scenario? You're sitting with a bunch of people and somebody says, for example, like LeBron is better than Michael Jordan. And you're like, okay, right? Ignore the fact that the kid's 11, right? What do people like to do when somebody props up an opinion that is like so objectively incorrect? What do they do? Start roasting, right? They just, all right, here we go. And then everyone starts going in, you know what I mean? And it gets really, as, as we say, it gets super ignorant really fast, right? People start to, or they're just kind of like, maybe there's petty sort of like 
Are you serious? People start rolling their eyes. People are like, wait, say it again, say it again. They'll start video. Say it again, say what you just said again. Right? And the person, what happens to the person who said that? There's a phrase in Urdu, mucho te right? Their face gets small. Right? Their face gets small, which means what? They start to shrink. Like literally their face is representative of their soul. They start to shrink into themselves. They just start to crumble. And even if they believe what they said, now they regret ever saying it. Right? So what is, what is necessary in those moments, subhanAllah, is good character. See, the thing about Muslims is that good character is never on suspension. Like we never like suspend having good manners. It's, it's ajib. Islam is built upon this idea that good manners are as critical to existence as breathing. Because a person without good manners is not improving the quality of life of anybody around them. And so you're better off. This is why the Prophet said what? You're better off being quiet if you can't say anything nice. And being quiet is, ten, is, is almost the same as just being invisible. The Prophet is basically saying, if you can't say something nice, just disappear into the wall. Sit on this couch. I don't hear a word. That's what he's saying. Right? If you can't say something nice, just sit here and wear something that looks just like this and just sit back and close your eyes and disappear. Right? Because good character is what defines you. Is what defines you. You know the Prophet Sallallahu in Mecca? There were a lot of people in Mecca who did not believe what he said. They did not believe in Allah. They did not believe in Allah the way that Islam teaches. They did not believe in the Qur'an. They did not believe that he was a prophet. Is that true? True or false? True or false? A lot of people in the early stages did not believe he was a prophet, yes or no? True. They, don't, they didn't believe he was a prophet. Did they ever criticize his character? You can't find a single narration of Abu Jahl being like, I just don't like the guy. What he's saying kind of makes sense. I just don't like it. You can't find it. Can you imagine? Now, how many narrations would there be about us if they interview all our family and friends? It's true, man. May Allah forgive us. About the you know passive-aggressive, he's kind of this, he's kind of that, judgmental, this and that. We all have allegations. May Allah forgive us. May Allah cause people to forgive us too because we need it, right? All of us. I want you to understand, subhanAllah, that... Even in this moment, when this person, this young, pious guy, they all just ran away together. They're all dedicated to Allah. One of the friends suggests something that's clearly wrong. They could have just slam dunked on this dude. In a very high stress situation, what does he say? Instead of saying, you are the most unintelligent person I've ever met in my life, and there's only eight of us here in this cave. He said to him, ah, maybe. But I think Allah knows best how long we've been here. You know what I mean? It's like when someone says something wrong and you know it's wrong and you just say, really? Oh, I never, I never heard that before. Because you're wrong, right? <laughs> but you don't say that part. You just say, oh, that's, that's the first time I've ever heard that. I gotta look into that. Because our faith teaches us that even when a person's incorrect, you still have to take the high road. Right? What's the hadith of the Prophet I promised a, a, a mansion in the middle of paradise for the person who gives up disputes, argumentation, even when they're right. You know you're right. How can you say 
that this person may not be totally correct without making them feel as if they don't want to be there. Maybe Allah knows best how long we've been here, huh? But it'll maybe come out soon, okay? And then, subhanAllah, what happens next? He says, so send one of you with these silver coins of yours to the city. Send one of you with these coins. They got some cash. They got coins. You want to know how amazing scholars of tafsir are? Would you guys think of anything profound from that, ever? Well, what's profound about that? That they have coins. Let me show you what tafsir does. Mind blown. You ready for this? How many of you have ever been intellectually shamed before? Just trust in Allah. You're like trying to make plans, make moves, and someone just says, where's your trust in Allah? You guys ever had that before? Oh, wow, okay, Michelle, I'm happy. There's only like two people nodding. <laughs> Crying and nodding, right? Yeah. <laughs> it happens. People use that. They intellectually shame you. Like, where's your trust in Allah? You're like, uh, I have to feed my family. Like, oh, now you, Allah feeds your family, brother. You're like, I, I know that. <laughs> but I'm in the chain of that, right? So like, Allah gives me the risk to feed them, right? You know what the scholar of Tafsir said here? What were they doing again? They were what? They were running away from persecution. The scholars here, they circled this and they said, ah, Allah mentioned that they had coins. I mean, if they were really that pious, don't they just believe that Allah would provide for them? And that they wouldn't have to take any, why would they take money with them? What's the point? Really, do you going to take money? You're running away. Your currency may not even be good anymore. The scholars say, this shows that Allah allows and appreciates when people trust in Him, but they still take the means. You guys ever heard, tie your camel and then trust in Allah? Right? A lot of people try to flex spiritually by not tying their camel. This is what happened. A man came to the message of the Prophet them, left his camel outside, Prophet Sallallahu said, did you tie your camel? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I trust Allah. I trust Allah. Camel's like walking away. <laughs> man is like sweating. He's like, I trust Allah. <laughs> Prophet Sallallahu said, e Okay, that's fine. Prophet said, don't not trust Allah, but tie her and then trust Allah. Tie your camel and then trust Allah. The two things don't contradict. So these guys taking some money with them when they were leaving... A person might, in their extremism, say, "Like, what kind of were they really that devoted to Allah? If they believe that they had to take cash, yeah, because they were tying their camel, right? We all have to take the means at some point." So he says, "Go and find which food is purest. Let them go and find which food is purest, and then bring provisions from it." The the pure food thing is a very powerful moment. We don't have a lot of time for it, but we're going to dive in for a little bit, okay? Allah here mentions that in this conversation, despite the fact that they had no idea how long they'd been there, they had no idea what the situation was on the outside, they had no clue that in their search for what they needed, there was one condition, and that was it was pure. As kataha, that it was the purest form of food. Why do you guys think that's important? Does it even matter? What do you think it means? There was no whole food back then, so what? What are they going to do? Even when they were in like such a unknown situation, they like stuck to their core. Mm-hmm. A sign of true principle is that even when you don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be, 
you don't start shedding your principles. Right? So as Muslims, we have a very interesting principle, and that is that we only eat certain things. We have dietary restrictions. We have dietary restrictions. Right? Yes or no? Okay. Are we all together? <laughs> we have dietary restrictions, okay? We cannot eat certain things. Right? Those things are concerning to us. And a lot of times people say, well, you know what, this is a little bit too much, and just, you know what. No, there are certain elements of being a Muslim that definitely are small in terms of just like the size of it, but are massive in terms of the implications. The hadith of the Prophet he says that there's a man that will come and he will be dusty and disheveled, and he will have all the signs of neediness on him. Some scholars even say that this person was a hajji, was a pilgrim to Allah's house. He says that his clothes are dirty, his hair is dusty, just other need. If you look at it, you're like, you need, a, you need help. And this person calls out to Allah and is begging. And then the Prophet plot to us. He says, but this person, his food is haram. His clothes are haram. His provisions, his livelihood are haram. So then the Prophet said, how does he expect to be answered? See, we don't believe that like the whole food thing just stops at food. We believe that there are certain barriers to the blessings that we desperately need that can be blocked by certain choices that we make. Right? We believe that. We believe that there are certain actions that by doing them, blessings come down, right? For example, not food related. We believe that giving charity does what? Purifies your wealth and does what? Increases your wealth. We believe that. The Prophet promises us. Your, your charity will never decrease your bank account. Ever. This is a promise of the Prophet Okay? We believe that praying Fajr does certain things for us. It protects us in Jama'ah, it protects us during that day. We believe that reading Quran brings barakah to our day, blessings to our time. We believe that all of these things have real life implications. So when I disobey Allah and I eat something and I consume something, and by the way, this isn't just, I don't want us all to think about like bacon and pepperoni right now, right? Imam al-Zani also said that part of consuming something which is haram is using money which was not lawful to buy your dinner. Using money which was not lawful to buy your dinner. I saw an article today about there's a, a glitch on DoorDash. You guys see this article? Yeah. <laughs> the long guy's like, oh yeah. <laughs> He's like, dinner's on me, Roots, tonight, right? There's a glitch. So what do they do? I just saw the headline. I didn't read it. But my assumption is there's some sort of thing where they can order it and get the food for free or something, right? Now, everyone's like, people are sharing this. I saw on, on Twitter the tweet had like 11,000 shares. Everyone's celebrating, right? But as a Muslim, we see that and we're like, wait a minute. That's not permissible for me. That's stolen. Now, you could say, well, you know, it's a company and like, you know, we got to fight the man, like, down with the system. <laughs> you can justify your you know, bad behavior any way you want, right? I had a friend that did that, actually. I had a friend that used to walk into a Kroger. <laughs> it was bad. I won't forget us. He used to walk into a Kroger, and the first thing he did was go and just grab a donut and just start eating it. And I'm like, why? 
89 cents. They just buy it for you. Like, no, it's a, I'm making a point. What point are you making? He's like, these large companies make so much money. One donut's not going to matter. And that kind of that kind of mental gymnastics to justify something is exactly the problem, right? Muslims are called to be people of high ethical standards. You know, so much so that when you do business in certain parts of the Muslim world, after weighing your transaction, like you're buying a dried fruit. I happened in Turkey, literally last week, my wife was buying dried figs, or dried apricots. And she put up, the guy put on the scale, and it was one of those old school scales. You know, like the, the Lady Liberty Justice scale, where it's balancing. He puts everything there, he weighs out what the price will be, and then he does what? Reaches and grabs another apricot and puts it on her side. That one is now, that one's on the house. But why does he do that? He does this because it's part of the Muslim ethic to let the buyer know, I'm not messing with you. I'm not messing with you. The Prophet was walking in the market one day and he saw this person selling grain. And he stuck his hand into the grain. He just kind of like felt it and then he put a finger into the grain and he felt that it was, it was soggy. The top was dry, the bottom was soggy. Now for those of you who are looking at you like, is it cereal? No. Soggy grain is going to go bad very soon. The top of the barrel is dry. You buy the whole barrel, you get home, 90% of what you bought is already rotten. You only have that little bit left. So the Prophet goes to the man and he says to him, What are you doing? Did you know about this? And the guy looks a little ashamed. He says, Yeah, so a lot of times are tough. I'm not trying to, if I gotta lose my product, then someone's gonna pay, you know. I gotta feed my family too. You know, we all got these justifications, right? The Prophet then responds with a phrase that gives me goosebumps. Whoever deceives us is not, he's not from us. Our people don't act like this. You're trying to deceive people? You're not one of us, man. Now, he didn't say, you're Catholic. He said, this isn't how we act. This isn't how we behave. You know, sometimes you're, People in life will get upset with you and they'll yell or scream. And sometimes they'll just tell you, I'm disappointed. And the disappointment is way heavier than any anger. The Prophet Sallallahu here is saying like, I can't believe you're trying to pull this. And that is so heavy, SubhanAllah. So we become a people of honor and integrity in everything that we do. So obviously ingredients matter, food matters, all that matters. But when you're working and you're at your job, and there's some, there's some flexing about, well, you know, I'm supposed to be working for a few hours. I bought this device that makes my mouse move across my screen so that my Microsoft Teams chat never goes on you know, away mode, right? Or I have this algorithm that I wrote, or I have this script that I wrote that like makes me respond to messages, but I'm mapping. But look, all jokes aside, I know that COVID was rough and people had to figure out how to catch a nap in the middle of the day. You're like, it's Sunnah. I understand, right? <laughs> but you don't rob a bank and build a masjid, right? <laughs> Stick them up. I gotta go donate to Qatar. It's like, no, that's not. We don't do things that are impermissible for the sake of some other thing that's even recommended, right? We're people of high ethical fiber. We really, really care about the things that we do. 
and the dollar that we earn to every last penny. It's not worth it. On the day of judgment, we're going to be standing before Allah and he's going to say, you really ate an 89 cent donut from Kroger? <laughs> and, and, and may Allah forgive us, like if that's me, if that's me, and Lord knows as a kid, man, there were more than, a, more than a few Snickers bars that I did not pay for, right? Just as a kid. Don't judge me. Everyone's looking at me now. Don't judge me. Okay? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So Allah Ta'ala, He tells us, go and find the purest food and bring provisions from it. And He says, but be very cautious. Be very cautious. But you know what's interesting? The translation for cautious, it's unfortunate because in Arabic, the, the, the Arabic word is وَلْيَطَلَطَّفْ And لطف in Arabic means gentleness. It doesn't mean cautiousness. Caution in Arabic is Okay, or wara. Like he could have said those words. But he says وَلْيَطَلَطَّفْ Be gentle. Be gentle. Why is being gentle in the marketplace an advice that he's giving? You guys ever been in the marketplace before? Anyone here, anyone here take pride in being a really, really good hustler and bargainer? Yeah. You're like, I can make salespeople cry. <laughs> right? You just sit there, you buy a car, you just start tapping on the number. Right now, you just tap over and over again. It's like torture. This is something, subhanAllah, again, there's a certain element of culture of, you know, bargain, 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 squeeze every penny, this and that. But then there's the Islamic ethic. You know, especially now. I want you all to think about this. Especially now. When gas prices are crazy, inflation is all time, people are struggling. Is it really worth it to bargain with the person who, like, cuts your lawn for $5? It's actually happened to me today. I had a guy who was cutting our grass. And my friend was, one of my friends, different friend, was like, not the donut friend, different friend. <laughs> I was like, how much? And I was like, this much. And he's like, oh, you... You just you just accepted his first offer, and in my head I was like, "Yeah, man, it's five bucks. I can I don't go to Starbucks. It's bad anyways, right? Like I can skip something. I don't have to like squeeze and wring like like a cloth, like squeeze every last penny out of this dude. That's what he thought. He's saying go to the market, take your coins, buy something wholesome, and don't be a jerk." Don't be a jerk. Have good character. You see how like they're all reminding each other? And then he says, What? Well yatalatov. And then he finishes. Because having good manners is the best way for you not to go noticed. To just kind of like cruise by. No one's gonna suspect anything about you. Because remember, these guys are scared. They think that the town is still what? out to get them. So he says, go and get us food and come back. Don't make a scene. This is not the time to bargain. If you start bargaining, they're going to start asking about you. If you start showing bad character, they're going to remember you. You never remember. You never really remember people who have good character, right? You always remember the people who like have outbursts. No one ever like is like, you know what? I remember this one guy just boarded the plane and smiled and said thank you. We always remember the one person that's screaming at the poor flight attendant or something or the, the person checking people into their flight. You remember that person. You don't remember the 150 other people that just said thank you and walked in. So when a person has a, an absence of good character, it sticks out. So they're saying to the one who's going, 
don't have a lapse. Why? Because if you do, you're gonna blow our cover. See how important good character is? Right? For these guys, it was literally a matter of life and death. It says what? Innahum an yadharu alaykum yarjumukum Oh, you're idukum fi milletikum. SubhanAllah says that if you get found out, they're going to stone you to death. Or worse, they're going to make you join their religion. SubhanAllah. You know how like, when, we, when we list out the punishments, we wait for the worst one last. We're like, they're going to do this, this, or even worse, this. They said what? Yarjumukum, oh, you're idukum fi milletikum. Walan tuflihu idan abadah. You will never be successful then. Uh, we're going to go ahead and pause here, inshallah, because we have Maghrib in just a few minutes, inshallah, I believe, day 38. So uh, we're going to pause here. I thought we were going to finish with, the, with, with this passage today, but we have a couple more uh, points that we're going to go over, inshallah, in the next week. We ask Allah Taala to give us the beautiful character that we found in these verses tonight. We ask Allah to allow us to be able to have that gentleness and that kindness and that nuance that was discussed uh, beautifully in his words tonight. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to have that trust in him, to allow us to recognize that we are always being cared for, always being taken care of by him, even if we don't realize it, that we know that Allah ta'ala is always handling our affairs for us. We ask Allah ta'ala to give us that certainty and that uh, yaqeen in our hearts that he is always there with us. Amin, amin, amin. Any questions before we break? Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you, it's a, in a situation where somebody really does not want to tie their team? Like, you're in a car with somebody who doesn't want to put on their seatbelt. Oh, yeah. And you, like, refuse to drive until they put on their seatbelt. Mm. So, like, just an example. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you deal if somebody really doesn't want to tie their camel? Uh, I think, again, like, um, you know, all of these things have to be sort of uh, assessed case by case, like, whether it's like a serious, concern to them and to you and to other people or whether it's a more negligible concern right if it's something like you know they don't want to like um they don't want to put a you know a lid on their lemonade and you're like i'm not gonna be friends with you anymore like that's you know that vote you have to decide like is it something very serious is it so again if it's something that's like you know carries significant weight as far as impact on other people then yeah absolutely you need to you know, assess whether or not you want to spend time with that person and, and this and that. But if it's like most things, which is probably just, you know, the person is basically tying, you know, leaving their shoelaces untied and tripping every day, uh, then that's kind of is what it is. But if it's something more serious, then absolutely you have the right to decide how much time and at what venues you want to spend with somebody, for sure. You know, but you, you make those decisions. So after having conversation and all that stuff, right? So, yeah, hello, yes. Is there a significance in, like, what you have to do with the Quran? I've seen that in the Old, and I've read that, like, the middle of the Quran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one, one of the scholars of Tosiyah, I think, is Imam Qushayi, he said that this is the exact middle word of the Quran. And so, obviously, when you look at something as a, when you look at it as, like, a structure from above, and something's in the middle, like, it's like the keystone. So some scholars say that gentleness is the keystone of Islam. Like gentleness. Because it's in the middle, the exact middle of the Quran. So yeah, there is significant. I mean, there's no hadith necessarily that's like highlighting it, of course, but the scholars do point that out. They said this is the exact middle. Yeah. Alara. Yes. I have a question. In the beginning you
Yeah. What if, like, for example, you get a job promotion that you're working really hard for? Is it bad to feel, to recognize your hard work? Good. Okay, this is good. So, the the question about feeling that you don't deserve something, and then, like, what happens, though, if you work really hard for something and then you get it, is it wrong to, like, feel like, you know what, I worked really hard for this? The answer is no. It's not wrong. However, the Muslim always understands that every opportunity would not be possible without Allah. That's what I mean by undeserving. Deserving here, I mean in the most literal sense, which is, I definitively, absolutely deserve this. The reality is, despite any hard work that you did, every resource you had to even do the work was given to you, right? So in a way, you know, we all laugh at the millionaire that says that I'm like self-made. My dad only gave me a million dollars, you know? Like we all laugh at sort of like the trust fund person that's like, you know. But in a way, we're kind of all that person when it comes to blessings from Allah. So some of us walk around the world saying, you know what, I really am successful because of me. And the others walk around saying, if Allah didn't give me eyes and ears and health and my family and my friends and this, 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 and wait, the list goes on, then there's no way that I would be in this position. And yes, I use those things to achieve, by Allah's fadl, what I have today, but the truth is still very blunt that if Allah even removed one thing from this massive thing of blessings that I have, I may not be here today. So, I'm grateful to Allah that He allowed me to achieve this. That's sort of the balance of it. The answer is you're absolutely allowed to feel a sense of accomplishment, but you can never forget about the path that you took there and who basically carved that path out. You know? Laura, good question. Yeah. Anyone else? Last question. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. If you're too nice, yeah. So like, wait a minute. <laughs> Can you be mean to not be noticed? Uh, so that was one of the reasons as to why they mentioned it. Another reason the scholars mentioned is that they said that you need to you need to maintain your character no matter how stressed out you are. So one of the tafsirs said, like, I know you're stressed. I know going out back into the city is scary. You think that these people are going to kill you? They're out to be, they're out to get you. What do you Don't lose who you are. Right. So. One of the tafsirs said, yes, it was so that they don't get noticed, because that's what the verse follows with. But the other tafsir says, it was so that these people are reminded, like, don't lose who you were, even if the moment is overwhelming. So, Allah Ra'ala, one of the best. Okay, time for Mabdur, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum, everybody, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.